so much for this time together in this beautiful uh, setting. Lord, we uh, ask that you would speak to us through your word. We thank you that faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. And as we study Shavuot, we pray your Holy Spirit would uh, speak to us and strengthen our faith as a result of it. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I put together notes that we're going to follow, and this way you'll have them for uh, study later on. But Shavuot began actually uh, Tuesday night at sundown. And uh, there's debate over when the timing is, um, and I'll explain that as we go through this. What? Well, <laughs> not that, not that whether, what day Shavuot is. Okay. Uh, seven times seven plus one? Or? Right. But I'll explain what, what the controversy is in just a All moment. Right. All, right. All right, so it, um, we're looking at basically at Leviticus chapter 23, and uh, beginning in verse uh, 16. Leviticus 23. Right. Leviticus 23, verse 16. And what you have in uh, Leviticus 23 is an outline. Is it, what you have in Leviticus 23 is an outline of all the feasts of Israel. And if you look at them in, in an overview, what they really do is they foreshadow God's redemptive program. The Passover speaks of the the um, redemption from Egypt, from bondage and slavery, and foreshadows the provision that God made for not just Israel to be redeemed, but for all the nations to be redeemed. It was no coincidence that Jesus died on Passover. Uh, it was the perfect timing for he was, as, as we know from the New Testament, he was the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb of God. And at the precise times that the lambs were being sacrificed, uh, so Jesus was being sacrificed. Uh, and what Passover commemorated was redemption from bondage and slavery and uh, really the beginning of the journey to the Promised Land. And for us, when we come to faith in Jesus, it is the same. I mean, we, we were in bondage, we were enslaved, and when we trust him, we in essence are putting his blood on our heart God sees the blood, passes over, and in like manner, we begin our journey to the promised land. And, we're in the uh, and we're in the wilderness. <laughs> that's right. Uh, they didn't get right into the promised land, and that's very instructive because it, it's important for us to understand that when we come to faith in the Messiah, it doesn't mean that life is going to be perfect. In fact, for Israel, it was quite the opposite. They wanted to get back to Egypt uh, because they didn't like the wilderness. And uh, many of us don't like the wilderness, but it's part of the process of preparing us for the promised land, as it was for Israel. And, uh, and so um, there were three feast days, looking at our notes here, that God required Jews to go up to Jerusalem. The first was Passover. He wanted everyone present. And, and, and so it was that everyone was present when Jesus died. It was part of, Do you have the right... Uh, all four pages there? I do. Okay. I do. So, um, so it was part of, his, part of his plan that all Jews would be present to behold the Lamb of God. That's why everybody was in town on Passover. Remember the, the leader, the Jewish leadership, they, they wanted to wait till after Passover to, to bring Jesus before the Sanhedrin, to bring him before trial. 
but but their their response was no. Let's wait till till after the feast, and then we'll take care of it. But the timing was not in their hands; the timing was in God's hands, and and so uh, God ordained that everyone would be present. And on the the on running concurrently with Passover is the next feast day, and that's unleavened bread. And essentially, what unleavened bread is is a reminder of the bread that was afflicted in the wilderness and um, and a period of eight days when Jews forsake eating regular leaven. They eat matzah and, and things that don't have leaven in it. Uh, leaven is a picture of sin. And so uh, during the week of unleavened bread, we are to put away sin. We are to put away that which is uh, causes... Um, well, it uh, permeates our lives, and that's sin, and and it's again a foreshadowing of the Lamb of God who would be sinless. And unleavened bread is calling us to be holy as the Lord is holy. All right. So, if you were Jewish, you were required to go up to Jerusalem uh, t- uh, to Jerusalem three times. Shavuot is the second of the three feasts that Jews were commanded to go up to Jerusalem. The third was Tabernacles or Sukkot. Is that Yom Kippur? No, Sukkot is uh, tabernacle. Suk- Yom Kippur, the, the temple was closed. You couldn't go to the temple. Every other day the temple was open. But Yom Kippur, the temple was closed. And the reason it was closed is because that was the day that God took care of the sins that had not been atoned for. Otherwise, God would have had to end his covenant with Israel. So the high priest, on behalf of the whole nation, would offer atonement for the sins of the nation. And uh, no one could go near just the high priest and God. And and that foreshadows something that was to come as well. All right. I wonder what that is. So Sukkot is the feast of... Okay, Shalom. It's Beth. Shalom. Hey, Beth. There's notes right there. Go ahead, your question. Oh, there's some notes Sukkot is the feast of... Sukkot is the Feast of Tabernacles. And I've, I've heard it called the Feast of Booths. Yeah. Booths as well. The same. The same. Tabernacle and Booths. Booths is the same. Okay. Correct. Mm-hmm. All right. That's what confused me a little. Yes. Very, very little. Literal. Yes. Well, it's, <laughs> yeah, well, it's correct. Uh, tabern- a tabernacle is a temporary dwelling place, and so it's also known as Booths. Okay. Or Sukkah in the Hebrew. Do you have questions, Clara? No, no, no. <laughs> Just trying to understand everything. Okay. Everything is so new for me. So. Yeah. Well, I understand. So, and don't don't be afraid to ask. But but the, these notes will help you later mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. All right. So the historical background of Shavuot is this: Shavuot was first celebrated after the children of Israel settled in the Promised Land, because Shavuot is the celebration of the beginning of the harvest. And so until you're in the land, you right. can't really celebrate the harvest. However, uh, since the temple was destroyed and the Jews were removed from the land, they began to change the focus from the harvest to the giving of the law. And so um, with the destruction of the temple in my notes here, uh, it was impossible to fulfill most of the commandments related to the feasts because you couldn't sacrifice an animal. You couldn't bring your offering to the temple. And so, um, when the temple was destroyed, the rabbis had to come up with some other way of 
fulfilling the commandments that God requires. Now, um, the, it actually began in, when, when the Jews were first taken away from the temple, at the first destruction of the temple. That was in 586 B.C. Uh, under Nebuchadnezzar. You remember Nebuchadnezzar came in, destroyed the temple. And when he destroyed the temple, the Jews, most of the Jews were taken in captivity to Babylon. And while they were in Babylon, they didn't have the temple anymore. That was the center of worship. That was the cent- that was the place where atonement could be found. And it was a rallying point for Jews. And so in captivity, the synagogue developed. And really, our churches are based on the synagogue. It was in the synagogues that Torah was read. And while the Jews were in captivity, Ezra began reading not only the Torah, but reading the prophets. And and that cycle still goes on today in synagogues. Every Sabbath, there's a portion of the Torah that's read and a portion of the Haftorah, or the prophets that are read. Sometimes also a portion of the writings. There's a in, in churches, they have something called the lectionary. Are you familiar with that? The lectionary is, uh, is in, I think it's in the Catholic Church as well as in the Protestant, well, for sure in some Protestant churches. They, they divide the scriptures up, so every week a portion of the law is read or, and a portion of, of the prophets are read, and then a New Testament, or the Gospels yeah. are read. And a psalm. And a psalm, yeah. So that's where it comes from, really, from the Jews who were in captivity. Ezra started it, and Christians uh, really just uh, incorporated it. Because remember, Paul, when he went to share the gospel, he would go into the synagogues. And the churches were modeled after the synagogues. So the synagogues, uh, in the synagogues, the Jews were, had to come up with another way of celebrating the holy days. And so the rabbis began to focus instead of on sacrifices when they were in captivity, and then for sure after the destruction of the second temple, they focused on the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, which occurred on the very same day. The day that the law was given on Mount Sinai was was Shavuot, 50 days after they left Egypt. Uh, we, so we know that. We know that from Exodus, Exodus chapter 19, it talks about it, that, that it was in the third month that they were at the foot of Mount Zion. We, it doesn't say specifically 50 days, but it was the third month, and in the third month, I mean, if you count off Jewish months, that would have been in the, thir- in the third month. Okay, the Passover was the middle of the first month. Uh, a month later, 30 days later, would be the second month. And you'd be in the middle of the third month when the law was given on Mount Sinai. Very likely. As you'll see why I believe that and why most believe that. that in fact, the Jews teach it that it was on Mount Sinai that the law was given. And we'll see why it makes sense. All right, Shavuot began, uh, looking at the third paragraph, on the Jewish calendar last Tuesday at sundown. Uh, but there's controversy over the dating. The question is, what does the scripture mean? Take a look at uh, Leviticus chapter 23 in verse uh, um, 15. In In verse 15, Leviticus 23, verse 15. You shall count, also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. Now the debate is, what 
Sabbath is that speaking of? The Jews take it to mean the Sab- that Passover is a Sabbath. So the, the sundown, the 14th of Nisan, until, uh, well, the 14th of Nisan is a Sabbath. It's a holy day. And so they, they would say, after the Sabbath, you begin counting from that point on. I believe, and others, there are other scholars who believe, but not the Orthodox, um, who believe that the, the Sabbath was the day of Shabbat, uh, Saturday. And so that the counting would begin on the day after the first Sabbath following Passover. So in that case, it would always follow on a Sunday. Because... Um, oh. Because the Sabbath uh, is on Saturday. Yeah. Now, when Jesus died, he died on Passover. And there was another holy day that we didn't mention called Bikurim. It's, uh, it begins in verse 9. Uh, then the Lord spoke to Moses, Leviticus 23, verse 9. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land which I'm going to re- give you, and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. That, that first, there are two first fruits. That first fruits is known as Bikurim, and that's the offering of the barley harvest, what we call today winter wheat. It's the first harvest. In Israel, it's barley, and barley was, a, was an inexpensive... Um, grain that was used to make uh, not such great bread, but it was bread. It was it was it was barley, barley bread. Um, but but God required since it was the very first sheep, <coughs> the very first part of the harvest. It wasn't the beginning of the major harvest, but the first fruits of the harvest was barley. I want you to offer it, and it, and and we were instructed to offer it on the day after the Sabbath of Passover. So... The Sabbath immediately following Passover. Correct. So 2,000 years ago, as the sheaf of the first fruits was being offered, Jesus was rising from the dead. Okay? He died on Passover, and he rose on the day after Passover, Sunday, Mm -hmm. the first day of the week. Paul makes allusion to that in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 23, he says, Now Christ is risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who were asleep. So, he died on Passover, and he rose on first fruits. No coincidence. And you begin counting the Omer. And the word Omer means days. From the day after of the offering of the sheaf, you see in verse 15, you shall count off for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering. That's Bikurim. You shall count off. Uh, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. You shall count off 50 days. So 49 days and a day. 50 days. That's where Pentecost comes from. Pentecost is the Greek word for? 50. 50. All right, so God commanded first fruits, then start counting. And the Jews actually... Every Shabbat, they count the Omer. They count the days. Every gathering, actually, they count the Omer. They count the days. 
because it's a commandment. You shall count the days. And so, you remember, Jesus told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until what I promised shall come upon you. And in a sense, they were waiting and they were counting the days in obedience to God. Any questions? You following me? Okay. So the counting of the Omer, or days, I'm reading in the middle of the third paragraph, begin on the day after the Sabbath of Passover. Now the controversy is, is that Sabbath the Holy Day Sabbath, or the weekly Sabbath? I should have put a question mark there, sorry. The Jews interpret that the Passover is the Holy Day referred to, while other people of faith believe it's the first Saturday after Passover. Okay, so the Jews are Tuesday night was the fiftieth day, and so they celebrate Shavuot on Tuesday night, fifty days after. Fifty days earlier was the first night of Passover. Okay, everybody with me? All right. But but were the uh, the holy days in the the scripture? Whatever were they called Sabbath? Also in the same sense of you know keep the Sabbath. You know, the weekly Not really. No. No, and and the, the, the Passover is on the 14th of Nisan. God actually gave the date. Yes. She celebrated on the 14th. Yeah. But first fruits and Pentecost are not given on a date. It's days after, after. the 14th, after yeah. the Sabbath of the 14th. And nowhere does it say in Scripture that Passover is a Sabbath. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's treated as a Sabbath. It is a holy day. Yeah. You shall do no work. And so, in a sense, it's a Sabbath. But it's not declared Shabbat. Right. It is not the Sabbath like God rested from his work on the seventh day. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And you can see how you could debate this. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, it's no debate. <laughs> but... Uh, I'm, I'm a typical Jew and have my opinions. Well, is, is it because, now, my question would be, what difference does it make? But what you're saying is what difference it makes is in light of the New Covenant and yes. the day of Pentecost. Correct. That's and the day of the resurrection. And that's why it matters. Yes. Yeah. I believe so. Because of the fulfillment. Right, of the foreshadowing. I believe mm-hmm. Jesus Otherwise, rose. Otherwise, it really wouldn't matter. I no. think you you know. But it makes a difference. As far as the typology, the fulfillment of the new covenant. Correct. Yeah, yeah. That's why everything, every jot Mm -hmm. and tittle is fulfilled in Messiah. Then that's why it matters. Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly right. Right. It takes away from the work of Messiah. Mm -hmm. But if we celebrate it on the day after the Sabbath, then it lines up with the resurrection of Mm -hmm. Jesus and with what happened on. Shavuot or Pentecost, as we'll see as we get further in this. You with me, Clara? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. <laughs> We're quiz her no, no, she's 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 good, but this this is all new stuff to her. So, all right, all right. So, since the feasts are a shadow of what was to come, and Shavuot foreshadowed the birth of the church, then Shavuot biblically should should be celebrated on Saturday. At sundown, or Sunday morning. Hey, 
Are you about to ask a question, Claire? No, I'm trying to, to read, 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 okay. <laughs> read it again. Yeah, I, I apologize for my grammar. It's not, not necessarily great. The church began on, you know, Jewish holidays begin Saturday night, or the night Erev, yes. the night before. Because in Genesis chapter 1, when God created the world, it was evening and it was morning one day. And so biblically, the day began the night before. It was evening and morning one day. Friday evening. Correct, is the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. The Sabbath begins at sundown, mm-hmm. Friday evening. Friday, yeah. Good? Yeah, okay. So the first day of the week would begin Saturday at sundown. Okay, but Jesus chose to rose from the dead in the morning, mm-hmm. early in the morning. Um, okay, all right. So the the three. Any more questions on that? Okay, the three significant aspects of Shavuot I want to consider this evening. First of all, the command to go up to Jerusalem. Second of all, the command or the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, and thirdly, the two loaves of leavened bread offered by the Lord. Because part of the offering, if you read this, it says, you shall also count, well, let's look at it. In verse 15, you shall, all, you shall count for yourselves the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. I'm reading in verse 16 now of Leviticus 23. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering, made of two-tenths of an ephah, that's a measurement. They shall be a fine flour, and note what it says here, baked with leaven as first fruits of the Lord. Oh. Now the first offering is without leaven, the first bickery. This offering, God commands, put leaven in it. Yes, Clara. And why is leaven associated with sin? Sin. Uh, because it of its permeation, and um, at the, somehow the rabbis interpreted or understood that leaven was a type of sin. And, and in the New Testament, we're definitely told that Paul uses it as an illustration of Jesus used it as an illustration of sin. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and Paul used it as well. Uh, um, um, Clean out the leaven, just as in fact you are in leaven, for Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So in the New Testament, it's for sure. But the rabbis, in their writings, also understood leaven as a type of sin. And and the reason they described it as sin is because leaven permeates something, uh, bread or whatever it's put into, until it continues to expand and grow and grow, until it's put into an oven and fire is put to it. And that's what stops it from growing. Hmm. And ultimately, that, that's exactly what's happening in the world. <laughs> Leaven is everywhere, and it's growing and it's growing and it's yeah. growing, and fire is coming. And the fire is the judgment of the Lord. So why do you think he told them to put leaven in the bread? I will get to that. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> I want to come right back. We all want to know. Well, we're going to have it both ways, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's okay to eat All right. Last paragraph on page one, going up to Jerusalem. That's the first point we want to cover. No matter where a person came from, getting to Jerusalem always involved going up. Right. 
right? If, if you've ever been to Israel, you'll know that beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of our great king. You have to go up to Jerusalem. I would just like to share something with that. I was traveling in Israel one time, and I was in a private car, and there were hitchhikers. And there were two uh, Israeli soldiers, a male and a female, dressed in uniform. And they had their thumb out, and we picked them up. And they asked us what we were doing. You know, we said we were on a Christian pilgrimage. We were, we were there to study and, and study about the Lord. And they go, oh, we're not religious at all. And I said, well, are you Jewish? This is something new. Mm-hmm. No, we're Israeli. <laughs> but they said, we are not religious. We do not affiliate ourselves religiously. We only affiliate ourselves in terms of you know, identifying with Israel. And, of course, they would die for their country in a heartbeat, and, and we're ready to do so. But they said, even though we are not religious, something happens inside us every time we go up to Jerusalem, oh. and we cannot explain it. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Uh, did you say, I can explain it? <laughs> yeah, let me explain that. <laughs> so, and they said it's visceral. They said we can feel it. Mm-hmm. And it happens every time we approach this, the city of Jerusalem. Yeah, when I take Christians to Jerusalem, it just blesses them. Yeah. Beyond description. Have you been there, Claire? Yeah. All right, so no matter where you go, you go up to Jerusalem. As Jews from Israel and the diaspora would come in obedience to God, they were moved to consider the Lord. And that's why going up to Jerusalem was so holy. It, it was an experience of great joy. Thousands upon thousands of Jews, every Shavuot, every Passover, and every Feast of Booths would go up to Jerusalem. Uh, families longing uh, to, to be together, you know, enjoying themselves. The joy of fellowship. We get an idea of what it was like from Luke chapter 2. Listen to what Luke writes. And his parents used to go up to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. This is speaking of Jesus' parents. And when he became twelve, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and his parents were unaware of it. Now, what does that tell you? There were just so many people and so many crowds that they couldn't, they weren't keeping track. And what, what else did that tell you? Yeah, they didn't have to worry. They didn't have to worry. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, yeah, I mean, everybody was having a great time. Yeah, yeah. isn't that something? They thought he was. With they the assumed friends and, that yeah. he was with. The yeah, it's kind of like yeah. uh, with the kids, of their friends. Sure, yeah. other boys. What? They didn't have to worry about kidnappers. Or... Right. <laughs> I mean, it was. They just well, sensed the presence uh-huh. of God, yeah, and in yeah. fact, the presence of God was there. Mm-hmm. He was with his people. The Spirit of God was in the midst of his people as they were in obedience going up to Jerusalem. And so they supposed him to be in the caravan and they began looking for him uh, among their relatives and acquaintances and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Um, so while the Holy Days were a reminder and for Thanksgiving, it was also the setting for events spoken of by the prophets, the coming of the Messiah. The rabbis wrote, of course, that all the law and the prophets were for nothing but the days of Messiah. And certainly, uh, among all of them, the holy days. 
were pointing to the Messiah. Every Passover, looking at the third paragraph, every Passover there was the anticipation that on the day the Messiah would come, that it would be Passover. Um, we set a place for Elijah on Passover. And at a certain point in the ceremony, in our dinner, we go to the door, we sing a song, Eliyahu Hanavi, Eliyahu HaTishvi. We open the door and he's never there. And the reason he's not there is because he's already come. Um, Jesus said of John the Baptist, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by, by, by the wind? No, I tell you, uh, he is someone greater than all the prophets. And if you care to accept it, Jesus said, he, John the Baptist, is Elijah who was to come. And so we go to the door and he's not there because Elijah has already come. And the reason we look for Elijah is because the last verse, almost, in the Bible of the Old Testament was, before the Messiah comes, I will send you Elijah the prophet, Malachi chapter 3, um, 16, the last, last verses. And so you know, Elijah was supposed to come on Passover. But every holy day... Elijah was the one who went up. Elijah was the prophet who went yes, up and did yeah, not die. Right. Right, and so they figured he would, since he didn't die, that he was, was going to come back. Yeah, and and Jesus said John the Baptist was Elijah. That is, he came in the office of Elijah. All right, so um, fifteen hundred years though after the first Passover, God did send His promised Messiah to Jerusalem. It was fifteen hundred years after the law was given that the Messiah came. The Passover lamb is prophesied by Isaiah 53. The majority of the, of the plain people, that is the, the Am Haaretz, the, the common people, they recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. It was the intellectuals and the religious that did not believe he was the Messiah. But most of the common people who saw the miracles and, and, and just saw how he taught and, and who didn't really care that much for the religious themselves because they saw their hypocrisy and and, um, you know, they, they loaded uh, weights on people that, were, that they didn't even want to carry. So uh, they believed he was the Messiah. Well, 50 days after Jesus died on the cross, Israel was once again commanded to go up to Jerusalem. Jesus had died, rose on first fruits. The apostles were told to wait in Jerusalem till that which I promised you will come. And now, in obedience, Jews from all over the world were coming. Because this was the second pilgrim feast day. And in Acts chapter 2, take a look at that. God was setting the, the, uh, the stage again for something fantastic. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Someone else want to read that? Verses 1 through 13. I can read it. Okay. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, so 
Here they are in the temple, waiting, and all of a sudden, something like a violent rushing wind on the day of Shavuot. You suppose they were, when Jesus told them to wait, they were waiting for Pentecost. Well, they were counting. Who knows what they, you know. I wonder if they, if they were just looking forward to Pentecost to, to see if that wasn't the day that... I'm sure some of them had that in the back of their mm-hmm. minds. It would certainly make sense. Mm-hmm. But a lot of things that we look back now and say, well, that makes sense, didn't really make much sense to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, yeah. you know, you look at the prophecies and so on. Uh, you know, a lot of people today have, are not many Christians don't line up with what's going on in Jerusalem and in Israel as being prophetic. It's coincidental. Yeah. But, you know, so... I mean, just as Jews at the time of Jesus didn't recognize the signs of the times. Today, the Jews are the church, are Christians. Mm-hmm. And as Jews didn't recognize, God's chosen people didn't recognize, now those who name the name of Jesus are chosen. And, you know, in much the same way, they don't recognize a lot of stuff that's going on. So, um, anyway, so that they were they were all there. They were waiting, and then the Spirit of God comes down and appears as fire. Um, now, then they spoke with other tongues. Now that word tongues, literally, in the Greek, means languages. Now you remember on the day uh, uh, that, that languages first came was, was in Babel, in t- the Tower of Babel. And, and it, they said that we would be as one, let's gather together, let's build this tower that'll go up to the heavens, lest we be scattered over the face of the earth. They rebelled against God had said, I want you to be fruitful, I want you to cover the face of the earth. But they said, no, we're going to do our own thing. And so at that point, God confused the languages. Up until that time, it was one language. Now, languages come upon these people. Now, keep reading, uh, Stephanie, verse 5. Okay. Why? Why? Why were the languages? Because men, when if we all had one language... No, but we didn't have one language because this is after the Babel Tower. Correct. But you're so going to see... Why, again, they were speaking in other tongues? I mean, they were ready. Okay, we're gonna, I'll give it to you in just a second here. Read okay, verse so 5. All right. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. That's why. Amazed. So that they could hear in their own language what these men who were filled with the Spirit of God were speaking. In other words, people from, we're going to see they're from uh, go ahead, I'm sorry, okay. I, I interrupted yeah. you. Yeah, okay. Um, utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthenians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? 
Okay, so the reason, Clara, is God was now filling the, the disciples of Jesus with the ability to declare the word of God in every language that was present. And so the reason languages came was because of their rebellion to God. They didn't want to be scattered over the face of the earth in obedience to what God commanded. I want you to go over the face of the earth and populate it. They said in the tower in the in, in Genesis, in the plain of Shinar in Babel, let us build a tower and let us ascend up to God lest we be scattered over the face of the earth. And so it, God said, I will confuse their languages because right now they can do anything. And if I don't confuse their languages, they'll, they'll go crazy. I mean, look, we have all these languages and look at what we're able to do right now. Right now we're able to, to do anything. Can you imagine if we were all able to communicate and didn't have you know, all these language problems? How, how simple life would be. We could travel with one language. We wouldn't. We wouldn't have the the, the uh, problems that we have. Uh, we would all have the same customs. Uh, we would unify because what unifies us more times than not is our language. And yeah. So so God undoes Babel for the sake of communicating the gospel. Communicating the wonders of God. Yeah. You know, I'm on the board of the Jesus film, and what we do is translate you know, the Bible into all the language of the world. And we know that a person is five times more likely to receive the gospel if they hear it in their mother tongue. Sure. You know, in the language that they learned as a child. Yeah. So they can hear it in a trade language, you know, whatever, and... And they say, well, that's nice. Yeah. But if they hear it in their mother tongue, they hear God speaking to yeah. them. Now God speaks my language. Yeah, exactly. That's what they say. Yeah, they say, no, Well, no, faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing yeah. by God's word. And if you don't understand his word, how is faith going to come? No. So when we understand it in my own language, that's what speaks to our heart. Right? Doesn't Spanish speak to your heart? Much yeah, more than I never, ever, ever read the Bible in Spanish. Because I was converted here in this country. Okay. Oh, right. So for me, the Bible in Spanish doesn't say anything. Oh, it doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you well, there goes that. I'm fine. Well, but... but the, Do you not pray in Spanish? No, I, I don't know in what. I pray in... I speak many languages. <laughs> I am like one of these guys here. So I don't know in which language I dream or pray or whatever. I think in English. Probably, uh-huh. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Pray. I can't pray in English. Yeah. I used to pray in Greek when I was in Greece. <laughs> but no, in my case, for example, because I, I never read the Bible when I was... I mean, I, I was raised Catholic. So I knew the Bible because, as you said, with the lecturi, like what you said, we in the Catholic Church, you read three passages Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. So the old, the new, and one of the songs, and no, one of the letters. I think it's four. Yeah. Just think how many. But I never. Yeah, but I never read the Bible when I was living in Colombia so many years ago. So I started reading the Bible
Interesting. I think that's unusual. Yeah. I, I, believe, yeah. I believe that people whose whose language, you know, is their first language. Uh, but English is not is very one of my last languages. Yes. But it's the language you came to faith in. It's the language where I started reading this book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my, so my friend who introduced me to the Bible invited me to a, a group in English. I was living in Guatemala, though, but she was married to a, an ambassador, American. And um, so the, the Bible group was in, in English. Mm. And we were living in a Spanish speaking country, but we still did the Bible group in English. And, that's my only maybe that yeah. one exception. But that's how faith came to you, so that's your yeah. that's your yeah. language now. Mm -hmm. yeah. For religion, my language is English. No, it is English. No, I I'm sure now it is English. Because mm -hmm. I write almost every day. Mm -hmm. And I write in English. Mm -hmm. I write about well. things I don't understand, about things that I want to learn. I fight with God, I discuss mm -hmm. <laughs> everything in English. Mm -hmm. Praise God. Yeah. All right, so it was on, on this day that that the Spirit of God, in Acts chapter 2, came into the hearts of the believers, and the church was born. This was the birthday of the church. Up until this time, it was all Jewish. It was just Judaism. But on this day, Jews and Gentiles were coming to faith because of the Spirit of God. The Virgin Mary was there that day, no? According yeah. to the Bible? Yeah. Yeah, she was there. Okay, so the, uh, now, so the, it was on that day that the Spirit of God, now, also, it was the day that, um, on that day, that, that God gave the law on Mount Sinai. So it was not only the day the church began, but it's also the anniversary that, of the day that God gave the law on Mount Sinai. That's the second point we want to look at. Okay. It was on that precise day that the law was given. Now, the law, when it was given at Sinai, was a gift. I'm looking at the bottom of page 2. The law, when it was given at Sinai, was a gift from God. When it bade, it brought blessing and peace. Uh, it was the requirements of God's covenant with Israel. The law. And essentially what the law is, is not just commandments. The word law means instruction or teaching. It's how we know about God. It's through his law. It set Israel apart as a special people. It provided mankind with the written expectations of God. Uh, it also provided a means of reconciliation to God through the sacrificial system. The law made provision for that. Uh, the psalmist wrote that the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. How blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. The law was a blessing to Israel. And so on the anniversary of that great blessing that God gave to his chosen people, giving them his instruction, giving them his teaching, giving, him, giving his people his word, um, is the very same day that the Spirit of God came into the hearts of believers. Now, in Exodus, we read that when God gave the law to Israel at Mount Sinai, when Moses brought down the law, the children of Israel were involved in sin. Do you remember what they were doing? The golden calf. The golden calf. <laughs> and they were worshiping... What? It just happened. Yeah, right, right. Aaron said, I just threw the gold into the fire and out came this calf. Go figure. <laughs> I'm a victim. 
I didn't do anything. Anyway, so not only was the idolatry going on, but sexual immorality was going on, associated with the golden calf affair. All right, so it was on this very day that 3,000 people died. Because when the Lord saw what was going on, judgment came throughout the camp, 3,000 people died. 1,500 years later, on the anniversary of the giving of the law, 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus. After Peter stood up, preached the gospel, 3,000 people believed and were baptized. Just by coincidence. Never have seen that. Yeah, I've never seen that before. Yeah. That's interesting. So, so it uh, it was on this day that God gave the new law, written on the heart, not on tablets of stones, but in the heart. And on this day, we read in Acts chapter 2 that 3,000 people came to faith. All right, the offering of the finally, the third thing. Any questions on that? All right. Question. Yes. Um, this, the law was not written on tablets, but written on our heart. Clearly, it's not. <laughs> I mean, that, I, I think that's going to be when... Yeshua returns because I think we demonstrate by our lifestyles that it's not written on our hearts. But does this correlate with Romans 1 where God says that man will be without excuse because somewhere inside of him he really... Well, that's that's general revelation, Romans 1. General revelation is the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament okay. is, is handiwork. So, you know, we're without excuse. So that when the law is written in our, on our hearts, it would be when we receive Messiah. I believe so. I, I believe it, I believe the law is written in our hearts by the Spirit of God coming into us, okay. and, and our heart is circumcised. Now, yes, we don't know all of it, Judy. But how does that account for all the sin committed by believers? Well, it 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 doesn't account for it. It shows that we are a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I just wonder if that um, if that is something that is going to be when when he absolutely returns, that it will really be written on our hearts. We won't even have to think about it. Well, I think that that there still will be sin in the kingdom. Already, oh, really? yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think there'll be sin. It won't be as bad, but they'll. I think I I believe the temple will be restored and sacrifices once again will be offered. It, it won't be like it was. And the reason it won't be like it is now is because um, evil will be removed from the face of the earth. Um, the three things that do us in right now are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is still going to be around, but the devil will not be around, and flesh will still be around. It won't be as, it won't be as, as predominant but somehow, there's going to be a rebellion at the end of... I mean, based on my theology. You get two Christians together, you, the, you know, the debate as well. But during the millennium, if, if my understanding of Revelation is correct, there are still going to be things that are not perfect. During the millennium. You're talking about yeah. the millennium. During the millennium. Yep. And then at the end of the millennium. Then at the millennium. Then there will be no sin, and there, yeah. then we will know as we are known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I think the millennium is the time. Okay, yes, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I, in I other words, that. when when you know it says that um, you know the law is written on our hearts now by the yes. Holy Spirit. I mean, right. because we're free from the requirements of the law, right? Of the old covenant. I mean, and because for salvation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So even though yeah, Christians still sin. And, and, well, the law is instructive. The law is holy. The law is righteous. The law is good. But the law is weak. And what the law could not do, God did in sending his son. And that's important. It shows, it shows the law. It actually not weak. It shows our weakness. Well, the law is weak because it shows, yes, it shows our weakness. The law cannot change us. Only God's Spirit can. And that's the law that came on Pentecost. The law written on the heart. The Spirit of God. Our teacher. Right. Our conviction. Our teacher. He's, you know, when I will send you a teacher. The Holy Spirit. Yeah. And he will instruct you in all things. And so that's what I mean by the, the, the greater, the new covenant. Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant. I have it listed here. In Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 33. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them. But this is the covenant I will make with them after those days. I will write my law on their hearts. And I believe that occurred on the day of the Pentecost. But if you say, if you will teach us all things, um, we, we don't know all things. But he, he will teach us everything that we need to know, moment by moment. And if we are yielded to him, yeah. if we are submitted to him, he'll get us through each day. We don't have to know everything, Judy. But if we walk with him, we will learn. He will instruct us. I, I can't know every. I, I got a ticket uh, uh, about four months ago for parking on an overpass. And I, I mean, th- there were cars also parked there, and there's no sign saying you can't park there. And the only way I was instructed was by that ticket. Seventy-five okay, so bucks in the city of Chicago. For right. Okay. Well, Ignorance of the sense. law. Yeah. But yeah. <clears throat> the Lord provided me the money so I could pay the ticket. And in provided me instruction on how to walk more rightly in Chicago or park more rightly. <laughs> you were fighting with your wife who would scold you so you wouldn't do it again, right? Oh, yeah. And she did, too. <laughs> All right, so that's the giving of the law of Mount Sinai. The third thing is the offering of the two loaves of bread. These loaves were baked with leaven. Leaven in the scripture speaks of that which is impure and defiling. Yet specifically, God commands that this offering be made with leaven. Leaven consists of organisms that are characterized by the rapidity of growth and diffusiveness, so that it permeates the whole lump into which it's put, and nothing is able to stop its growth except fire. These two loaves are a picture of Jews and Gentiles. Baked with leaven, sinners. As the high priest was offering these loaves in the temple 2,000 years ago, God, in heaven, through the person of Jesus, was offering 
two loaves of bread. I like to think of one as rye bread and the other white bread. <laughs> Jew and Gentile. <laughs> and the Lord was offering them both before in the temple, before the Lord, to be accepted. And so it's a picture of Jew and Gentile. Uh, and so uh, Shavuot, or Pentecost, was the start of the harvest. Throughout the summer, the harvest was carried on. And so too, 2,000 years ago, God began the harvest of Jew and Gentile in the present age. We pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the fields. And so the harvest began on Shavuot. Clara? All right, so going up to Jerusalem is the anniversary of the giving of the law, and the two loaves of, of bread all point to an event that was to come, and that event occurred 2,000 years ago on Shavuot. And God desires us to be a part of his harvest. But unlike grain, we have a choice. God has given us a free will to choose. Israel, when they stood at the foot of Mount Sinai, chose to embrace and accept the law. The result was that Jewish people became a nation of priests and a people of God, his covenant nation. They had applied the blood of the Lamb to their doorposts and they came out of Egypt. And the choice remains for us now. God has provided the Lamb and desires us to bring us into his new covenant and as priests and begin that journey to the promised land. Now, the new covenant is grace, right? Yes. So, I was just thinking of that prophecy that says, the prophecy that said that he would take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36. So, this, the, the stone would could represent the law and the flesh could represent grace. The spirit, yes. The law and grace. Yeah, Paul makes that analogy in Galatians. Yep. And so he's taken our heart of stone, which we cannot fulfill the law, and replaced it with the grace that he did fulfill the law. And through him, we are reconciled to God. That's right. And he takes our hardened hearts and keeps them soft so that we can continue to learn. And that's why we have to not harden our hearts. To be submissive. Yeah. Because yeah. we're prone to hardening our hearts. One of the things that hardens our hearts is not being in the Word of God every day. Eventually, if you're not in the Word, your heart becomes yeah. hard. Or harder until you hit something or the Lord hits you. And that brings us back to the Lord and confession and repentance and again the heart becomes softer. Any questions or comments? All right. Prayer requests? Well, let me close in prayer. Father, thanks for this time together. We thank you for your word and for this day of Shavuot, Pentecost, that, Lord, you sent the Messiah, that you rose from the dead, and as promised, you sent out your spirit. We thank you that we're in the harvest period, Lord, and we look for that next event on your timetable, Rosh Hashanah, the blowing of the trumpet, when the dead in Christ shall rise, and we who are alive shall evermore be with the Lord. Father, we thank you for this time together. Dismiss us with your blessing 
and we thank you for it, Lord. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen.